There are moments in our life when truth and justice are not determined by authority or rules, but something within us that resonates. I don't know if you've uh, seen, usually it's an older person wearing these virtual uh, masks, virtual reality masks, and they begin to experience uh, something of a world that they hadn't yet seen before, something that these new goggles let them see. And sometimes I like, I like the man who's on a roller coaster and has to hold his hands up high because he feels like he's literally going down uh, the, the, the track of, of the roller coaster ride. I, in my era in time, it was a kaleidoscope, and I've shared this before, where, you know, you, you pick up this tube, and I remember the very first time I did it, and you could, you could see the rocks and the mirrors as you held it up to the light, and you could see a design, uh, something uh, that was there all along, but you never saw it before. There are things uh, beyond this world that we don't see until certain moments uh, when we see a design or a purpose that's enlarged uh, in our vision of things. I was uh, listening to uh, one of the shows I don't watch too often, Grey's Anatomy. I don't know if you ever watch it on television. But there was a wonderful line from the, the person who's a star of the show, and it was talking about how God is the creator of the universe, and there was a question from the person who was uh, the patient there and some issues that were arising. And she made, these, made this statement. She said, you know, if the God who created the universe is a part of our life, you have to think about the entire universe that God created. The God who created the universe and all that's in it also created metaphor. Now, a metaphor is an image or a story or a, an example of something that reveals something more than that which is in front of you. A metaphor is an example of something beyond uh, that which you're actually experiencing. For example, when Naaman has this leprosy, we think it's leprosy. But leprosy can also be a symptom of something else and something deeper some sin that was going on in his life, some brokenness uh, that is encompassed by this concept of leprosy. So leprosy itself, which was the identifiable sickness in the community, uh, where a person's skin is, is falling off, and it's just a terrible disease, it was the uh, kind of woundedness that people just really didn't want to talk about that emerges again and again in Scripture. And the story of, of Naaman if you look at it more deeply, has to do with his power, his might, his all of these things he's got as a person, as a military leader, but he can't have the thing he wants. He can't be healed of this woundedness in his skin and in his body that causes him so much shame and so much depression and so much weariness, weary with longing to be healed. So a metaphor is something that describes something deeper or some design beyond that which is in front of our eyes, uh, something deeper that connects up, that's not reasonable, it's not legal, it doesn't fit the scheme of things as we expect it to. And so the story of Jesus moving from uh, the, the synagogue, where he begins to, to teach with great wisdom and authority, moves us then to uh, the household where the Christian community is gathering, and there's a different group of people in this, uh, this household where uh, Jesus begins to heal people. We've gone from the synagogue 
uh, to the household gathering of the community, and now into the city square, where people who are broken, who have all kinds of diseases, who also have kind of shady past experiences in their life, they're all somehow disconnected from the place of wholeness and community. Uh, they're alone, and they want to be healed of whatever it is that separates them from community. Because this, this disease of leprosy is a good case in point, you're forced to live apart uh, from the rest of the community. Not only are you sick and to be fed and supported only by your family, it's the rules that established that you must live separately from the rest of the community. You do not belong. You do not have a place here. You're not welcome uh, in, in the, the whole community. That is the community that considers itself whole. The uh, pastor First Presbyterian Church in New York City uh, put it interestingly as I was preparing for that class. And here we encounter uh, or the sermon rather. Here we encounter Jesus going into the brokenness of community to heal this man who has leprosy. And he, he said, Jesus does the unconventional, indeed even the un, uh, uh, unlawful, in order to do the unusual. And you think about Jesus coming into our life, looking at the brokenness of our communities and our own self. And Jesus does the unconventional. He actually touches the leper. And then goes and says, go and witness to the community, the priests of our society, the legal experts, that you are healed. It's kind of interesting in thinking in the preparation for this, do you want to be, uh, do you want to heal me, Lord? Now, that's the question the leper makes of Jesus. And Jesus is irritated to think that th this person would even think to ask that question, that God truly longs for us to be made whole, to find a community, and to find hope in his touch. I was uh, watching, I don't know if you paid any attention to the Olympic Games, they've just started, and I was watching one of the preliminaries, and I was just so intrigued, I don't know, it was figure skating, and just so amazing to me, when you see these uh, almost all young people who just seem so perfect, you know, you, they're, they're a husband-wife team, or male and female team, and they seem to skate as one. It is so graceful. Uh, and then, I don't know if you'd watch, and every time somebody falls, a part of me uh, uh, falls with them. It's just so disappointing when they get that far. Uh, they, they just seem to express something beyond uh, just skating. There's some beauty, some connection, some purposefulness that you just don't see very much. And then you get connected to their skill and their interest and their energy. And they're a part of that special community of, of young people who have... Uh, given their life over to the skills that they're trying to, to be so successful in, uh, a special community of, of welcoming people, a special athletic group going for the gold. Uh, same afternoon, though, I, I got, or the next day, I got uh, an appeal from the Special Olympics, which is uh, something similar but entirely different at the same time. It's a designed to help a, a group of people who have not been so fortunate physically, but who still long to belong to something bigger than themselves. And the message that comes to us from the scriptures this morning is a focus on those who are not quite acceptable uh, to the community, uh, or those who are entirely not acceptable uh, by virtue of their having leprosy. And we see Jesus' response to those who don't quite have a place 
uh, in the acceptable community, those who don't quite belong uh, where uh, they want to belong. I was thinking of this pastor's thought of Jesus coming and, and touching uh, the leper. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to heal me, Lord? You know, I think sometimes there are people asking that same question uh, that the leper asked of Jesus. What does God want of me? Well, the contrast is between authority and community. And Jesus was, was teaching in the synagogues. He was healing in the, in the households where the community had begun to gather. But he preaches and teaches as one who has no authority. The comparison is, is with the priests who confirm that the leper is now healed. Uh, there's a legal system that's established so that those who are acceptable can be brought into the acceptable community. Jesus heals the leper and says, and he's irritated that one has to think that God doesn't want him to be whole. And that's what that argument is about. Jesus was arguably angry that this system that separates people from the wholeness of community, he was angry that, they, that the leper would think that God is of that nature, that it is so wrong to keep people separated from the community that Jesus says, of course, I want to heal you. There's the sense of authority versus uh, the loss of community. And the same story in Naaman and, and the slave girl. And remember, here's a man who's uh, been a part of the king of Aram's military force. Uh, he's successful, he's obviously very wealthy, but he's not able to be healed of something broken inside of him, something that shows uh, on his skin, in this case, he can't get healed from any source, and he longs to be healed and to be whole again. And the story is created, who is it that directs him to the source of healing? It is not only a woman, she's also the least and last, she is a slave girl to uh, his spouse, uh, and she is the one who directs him to the place of healing. Now, if you take the, the story metaphorically, here is a, a man who longs for a sense of wholeness. He maybe has some shame in his life. Uh, he's very wealthy. He will pay anything uh, to, to be able to be restored to wholeness and health. And here comes where is the message. It is from Yahweh, the, the healing God of Israel. And so even, remember the story of Joseph and, and the story of uh, being taken into Potiphar's house or, or the story of uh, Pharaoh and Joseph in the very uh, beginning of Genesis. The enemies of Israel learn Israel's God is a God of healing and hope. And it often is through the least and the last person, the most unlikely person, that their direction for healing comes. In this case, it's a slave girl uh, an Israelite slave girl was taken captive, maybe by, uh, by Naaman himself. And she is the one who directs him to the king of Israel, who doesn't want anything to do with this, because he hasn't got any healing powers. But he says there's a healing prophet in Samaria that will direct you toward the source of healing. So it is a, a brokenness within Naaman. We uh, call it leprosy. Maybe it was leprosy. He will do anything to be made whole, to be in the acceptable community again. Maybe there are those who are lepers in our community too, uh, people who don't feel like they have a place they belong. Uh, the issue that seems, I read about in the paper all the time, maybe, maybe you are aware of it too, maybe you're concerned about it, and that is homelessness. I, it's one of the critical issues of, of our time. 
what, what do we do with these, these people uh, who are living on our streets and begging on the sidewalks? Isn't there a place for them? The issue of homelessness is like the issue of leprosy, uh, isn't it, in, in many, many ways. Who is acceptable? What can we do with them? Where do they belong? What's our attitude towards that? How are we instruments of response to community and wholeness uh, for the broken in our community? I was uh, privileged to be working with some homeless shelters that were actually being created in Arcata. We built a house for homeless women and uh, later on we built a house for homeless men. And then also Habitat for Humanity. I want to share a story <clears throat> from our church's involvement there in Arcata with uh, Habitat for Humanity. I don't know, my, I'm sure most of you are aware of Habitat for Humanity. It seeks to, to build a home, literally, uh, for selected individuals who are um, usually not able to afford anything like a home themselves. In this particular case, it was a, a young single woman, a waitress, uh, who was selected to receive a house, a Habitat house, that was given, uh, would be given to her, and it had to begin, of course, with property that was given by a member of our church for this Habitat house to be built. And so the church is instrumental in getting the house built for this selected uh, single woman waitress uh, who would never uh, ever be able to afford a house of her own. That's this basic part of what Habitat does. It tries to, to make a difference in people's life and to make them feel like they're part of, a part of community. I remember Steve Carlson, who was uh, the lead builder in this particular house, had forgotten something of his toolbox. I don't remember what it was. That Steve had come back after dark, and here he, he found this, this woman uh, sitting on a stool in the middle of what would be her living room. And uh, she was sobbing. She was crying, uh, not uncontrollably, but she was crying a lot. And uh, Steve was uh, curious as to why she was crying. And she simply said, I just didn't believe that there was so much love out there. I never forgot that. Here was just one person, uh, a selected single woman, who would never be able to afford a home of her own, who is now going to be able to be like everybody else, or most people at any rate. She would have a place of her own to live in, uh, created in the, uh, in the love of those involved with Habitat for Humanity. So the issue of belonging and not belonging, of being a part of, of a community of whole people, uh, is, a, is a commission of the church when you think about it. And Jesus goes into the places of brokenness and alienation. Uh, he, he speaks to first the Jewish community, then he speaks to the people who need to be healed of their brokenness, and then he moves into the city square when he starts touching the lives of prostitutes and and uh, criminals and tax collectors and people with leprosy and all manner of diseases and enlarges the circle to welcome them in. Not building walls, but building bridges uh, between people who uh, have no place and don't feel like they belong. I uh, had an opportunity to, to be in England as part of a shared Jesus evangelistic outreach to young people. And a wonderful experience of the energy of young people. You have an older church, a church of older people, you have a lot of wisdom. You have a, a, a church of younger people, and you have a lot of energy. You know, the idea was to have both. But I, in this particular group, they were all under 15 or so, and then they were bouncing off the walls. It was a wonderful, 
wonderful experience. But I had a week in between where I, I went uh, to, to Oxford University and then to, to Epworth, which is John Wesley's home. But it was intriguing. When you're alone and visiting uh, in places, Nadine had already gone back to Stockton. We, I was able to, to go into some of these places where the, the Wesleys were treated like they were just formally there, like weeks ago or months ago. They talked about the Wesley brothers as being uh, very involved in the ministry of, of Oxford, Christ Church and Oxford uh, University. And I was intrigued by that, that their, their sense of ministry and purpose, this, this group of Methodists, uh, this members of the Holy Club, this group of enthusiasts were, were seen as so much different from the rest of the community. They were filled with the Spirit of God. They, Part of it is, I'm sure some of you have heard this story, this holy club, this group of, of Bible moths, uh, later called Methodists, would get up every morning from 4 to 7 and study the scriptures. And then they would go to chapel and they would worship with enthusiasm. And this is a time when the Church of England was very staid and enthusiasm was not very much appreciated. But this group called Methodists or Bible moths or enthusiasts were filled with the Spirit. They always took communion. They went to class afterwards. And then they met at night. And uh, you, you saw uh, their ledgers of the collection they took for uh, those who were family members of those in prison. And the, the money that they had was very, very small. Uh, but the difference it made was very real in the life of, of what it meant to be a Methodist Christian. And it made me proud to think of of the difference that the Methodist movement made in England, and what a difference it made, especially to the least and, and the last. One of the, one of the active Methodists thought they weren't doing enough, but there's a guy by the name of, of Booth, uh, General Booth, you might think of him, uh, later to be the founder of the Salvation Army. Uh, started off as a Methodist movement uh, designed around the, the energy of healing grace and community uh, that the early Methodists had. So I was listening to people talk about the Wesley brothers and their, their ministry within the community. It seemed like it was just yesterday that this group of people went out to make a difference. And, and so much uh, the ministry of the early Methodists were like our rescue mission ministries that we see today. Uh, Methodists, early Methodists would gather people in, uh, often taking them from the Thames River itself where they nearly uh, drowned and, and were, were lost because of alcoholism being so are rampant in England at that particular time. So the early Methodists were enthusiastic about the Spirit of God and called to mission and ministry to, to be with those that had no place to go, no place to belong. They were overwhelmed um, by the brokenness of their life, always involved in healing ministries. When you think about that, it gives you a sense of pause to think, well, who are the broken? Uh, who are the disenfranchised? And how do we how do we bring a sense of wholeness and hope to their lives today? Where is the ministry of what it means to be uh, the church? Can we listen for another voice? And Naaman uh, thought he had it together. He was a leader. He was wealthy. Uh, he was a powerful man. But he had to turn to this slave girl's voice to find the direction and healing for his purpose. How could it just be so simple is to, to immerse myself seven times in the Jordan River. He wanted it to be more complex. He wanted to think it, he had to do all sorts of major feats, and all he had to do was simply let it go and to be bathed in the Jordan. 
What pride prevented him from believing? It isn't through military power. It isn't through great wealth. It had to do with his letting go of his pride, letting go of his ego, surrendering himself. And he goes to Israel's God. I remember a quote from Bob Leslie, professor at Pacific School of Religion. In, in terms of being those witnesses that we're called to be as God's people. He said, in every encounter we have with human beings, we can either leave them uplifted or diminished. In every encounter we have with human beings, we can either leave them uplifted or diminished. I think about Jesus touching the leper and giving him a sense of belonging to the community. When we find ourselves in a position where we can upbuild or diminish people, what choice do we make? Let's pray. Loving God, there is some leprosy in us all. Maybe not physical leprosy, but things that separate us from being whole and complete. And there's a lot of people around us who are in the same place, Lord. And we trust that you would give us the kind of witness we need to make so that people can see your design and your hope for humanity, the enlarging of the circle of faith and hope. Lord, let us be instruments of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.